Hello out there. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read some stuff this week. I watched a movie. This week we are covering Godzilla vs. Kong. Just released on HBO Max. I just accessed it in my living room. Controversial, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to get into this because I've not really had the background on this that I should. I've seen the later movies but I have not seen any of the any of the originals. Taylor, what have you seen? Yeah, I'm not acquainted with the rich history of all of the older films. I saw the 1998 one, which is yes. not even a part of the canon. And I saw Kong Skull Island. Oh, yeah. Which was a... Candy. Candy colored. Ex- yeah. On a, on, a, on, a, on a superfluous level. It's, it, I mean, but I mean, well, we'll get into all that, you know? Because that's the thing. You get what you pay for with this. It's called right. Godzilla versus Kong. That's what you want to see. I said before we got into this, I was like, I love the title. No tagline. It's just Godzilla versus Kong says it all. It's fine. <laughs> but who would have known the literary influences, Vast. the people behind this? And that was my onus for the research on this because. It's all about the big monster fights. But who was responsible? Is it ever about the people, Taylor? Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we'll find out if these (laughs) stories have... Is it just always about endless brawling? Or is there some greater hidden symbolism behind (laughs) them? This will be the 36th film in the Godzilla franchise. Oh, my gosh. And the 12th film in the King Kong franchise. Okay. Okay. King Kong's got to pick it up, though. (laughs) We've got to get some more Kong films in here. Yeah. Well, that's also the distinction between America and Japan, because 32 Mm. of the 36 Godzilla franchise films are from Japan, and only four are from the US, which is the 1998 one, and then the three that are made most recently. All the ones we've seen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Basically. But there was a original Godzilla versus Kong, but it was called King Kong versus Godzilla. Flip the names. Why? We'll find out. But that came out Ooh. in 1962. So we have been waiting 59 years for the rematch. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, this story starts with King Kong. He was actually the first to come about. And even before him, this is really the start of film as a medium. It's right there at the inception, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe you've seen this film or snippets of it, but it was a 1925 feature-length film called The Lost World, mm-hmm. and it looks like playing with action figure dinosaurs. Stop-motion dinosaurs. Yeah. Beautiful. In an antiquated sense. Yeah, yeah. Black and white, based on the Arthur Conan Doyle, who did Sherlock Holmes, his novel from 1912. And this is the first feature-length film in the world to feature that stop-motion animation as the primary effect. As influential for filmmakers, the you know Spielberg, Coppola. Oh uh, yeah, but most of the major filmmakers we know, this is what they're they're drawing off of. That we come when we come to big monster movies of of Hollywood, this film and of its brethren are the leaders of the pack. (laughs) And such imagination, because you'd think. And most of them are just like, oh, we're filming stage musicals or we're filming people in rooms talking. But to go, oh, no, we're going to have giant monsters attacking people. How in the world do we film that? So this we're is going to travel to a prehistoric land. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. To the, the, like the goal to like to, that is the vision I'm going to bring to the screen that quick, that early in the medium is is amazing actually it's, uh, yeah. we don't talk about that enough is that like be it on the outset i'm going to show this entire other world yeah 
the guy who is responsible for showing this entire other world, a name you do not know and I do not know, but basically kind of the originator of this special effects medium, this guy Willis O'Brien, and he will come back throughout. Mm. He is combining stop motion and live action first in a split screen way because you can't have them interact together. You're just overlaying literally the celluloid film. And then later as part of the same screen, he develops these new techniques. Just a madman when it comes Mm. to this. Also in terms of first and kind of randomly, but I thought this was a cool fact. This film, The Lost World, the stop motion he won, was the first film ever shown on an airplane. Really? So that same year, a London to how, Paris how flight. Adventurous. Yeah, 1925. <laughs> well, even more adventurous because it's like you're rolling film. The film stock is nitrate, very flammable, super risky. Hurtling through the air. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just really at the forefront. We got, we can fly. Let's watch a movie on it. So this was the first one. Taylor, Taylor, it's fine if you don't know it's dangerous yet. <laughs> right. This plane is made of wood. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But they did it. So that leads us to this is this is all in the background of who creates Kong is this guy, Marion C. Cooper, co-directed, co-wrote, and co-produced. A lot of co's. <laughs> we'll see. He has a lot of friends that he collaborates with, which we always love when uh, it comes to projects yes. like this. Yes. Just a little bit about his life, because he's an absolute madman, and it makes sense that he would be the one to- I like him already. To come up with this stuff. So he was a bomber pilot in World War One. I. I knew I liked him already. <laughs> yeah. Plane crashed, fiery ashes. He was thought dead. Burns all over his body. Survived. This gets better and better. <laughs> uh, then volunteered on the Polish side in their air force against their wow. war against the Soviets in the 1920s. Wow. Was shot down again. Again? (laughs) And spent nine months in a prisoner of war camp. Survived twice. Thought he wasn't going to make it out of that conflict. He wrote an autobiography, actually, in that prison called The Things Men Die For. And then- Oh, I'd hope he'd know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, escaped the prisoner of war camp. Whoa. Got back to America and started writing. He was on the night shift for the New York Times and was writing articles- living abroad. Um, So this is all throughout the 1920s. He's doing these crazy sea voyages throughout Asia. He goes to Ethiopia, meets the Prince Regent, was attacked by pirates. Their ship sank. He escapes. Just Taylor, I don't think this is, this isn't a person. You stumbled (laughs) upon some like legend scrolls. That's what it feels like. He feels. (laughs) This isn't a person. But he's had such a crazy. Thrown away scripts for Indiana Jones prequels. (laughs) In the meantime of all of this, his crazy expeditions, he's going along with this guy as a part of the New York Times thing, his cameraman, Ernest Shozdak. I'm probably mispronouncing that name, but we'll just call him Ernest from now on. Ernest. Ernest the cameraman. And then they go together and work for the American Geographic Society, not the Mm. National Geographic Society. But the American. (laughs) Yeah. And they make a film called Grass, and it's about the- Someone's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. It's, it's, it's about grass being the life force for this group of people. It's the- Oh, cool. It's, yeah. yeah it's, the, it's the Bakhtiari tribe in Persia or Iran. Oh, and it's very this, cool. Okay. It's, okay. I see. It's, I it's see. one of the first sort of ethnographic documentaries committed to film. It's about this group, and they lead 50,000 people across the Zagros Mountains. It's Whoa. this whole- culture that nobody knew anything about if you weren't there the hardships and bravery of these nomadic peoples just a wonderful 
Interesting, like day in the life meditative. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. So just as a side note, later on, after his film stuff, he's on the board for Pan American Airways, so he's involved in in flight outside of this. But we have to get to, God, when is King Kong going to happen for him? This is a whole other other life. This life. we. (laughs) Yeah. He had a book influence way before his idea of a giant gorilla terrorizing New York City starts in his childhood, had been given a book from his uncle called Explorations and Adventures in Equatorial Africa from Mm. this French anthropologist from the 1860s. It had descriptions of gorillas because we forget that even up in this time, unless you were there, even seeing a primate in real life was not possible. They were not at zoos. They were not brought around. You know, it was like that in itself was fascinating. Right. And if you did, you probably didn't live to talk about it. Because you did not belong in that jungle. (laughs) Right. Right. So just the descriptions of gorillas about the size, just the king of the African forest, all of that stuff fascinated him. And God, in all of his travels and all the documentaries and things that he's making, he's seeing all this stuff firsthand. Yeah. But how in the world is he going to make a movie? This comes down to the connections and people that he knows. Cooper, Hmm. he had helped his friend before get a job at RKO, which is one of the studios at the time. Rest okay. in peace. Yep. His friend was David Selznick, who'd later go on to produce Gone with the Wind, just a master no big pro- deal. producer in the studio <laughs> system. So David says, hey, I can get you something, but you got to start from the bottom. So Cooper begins working just as an executive assistant, mm. which is like the lowest of the low. He's 38 years old mm. when he gets into the film world. But David trusts him, and so he starts working on stuff. He developed The Most Dangerous Game which was based on that book yeah. about the hunter hunting people or whatever. And his friend Ernest, the cameraman from the travels, is going to direct this thing. The cameraman Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're working together. I love it. And so he gets more responsibility. There's a picture that's going on that that guy who did the special effects from The Lost World is doing, yeah. Willis O'Brien. He's been toiling away at this thing, another dinosaur stop motion thing, but only yeah. has 20 minutes of footage. So Marion Cooper decides, well, we're going to cancel him on this and bring him on board my idea. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes the guy who does the effects for King Kong and uses the dinosaur models and has all of his skill ah, from the past years. The assembling. Exactly. Very um, interesting. Ernest and Cooper both, co- like I said, there's all this co-stuff. They co-direct King Kong. Mm-hmm. and Very cool. Cooper kind of oversees the special effects. Ernest oversees the dialogue. And in an interesting cameo, they're both the ones piloting the plane at the end that finish off Kong. Oh, cool. Because <laughs> they like also that. both have aircraft experience. So they're like, well, why don't we just kill him <laughs> at the end? <laughs> the script went through a bunch of different people, but it's by this lady, Ruth Rose, which I guess was rare for the time. Mm. And after two others had tried, one of them died. One of them was just the too slow, not working well. Oh, gosh. Ruth Rose was on an expedition to the Galapagos at one time. She was a historian, and this was also one in which Ernest was on as a cinematographer, and they oh, fell in love oh, and yes, married. I see. And so she had no screenwriting experience, but she was the wife and confidant and trusted friend of Cooper. Right. So right. she was hired for this final draft. She came up with a lot of the classic stuff. She came up with the famous, it was beauty that killed the beast, not oh. the airport. You know, that was all her. 
Oh, wow. And she also brought the personal elements, the sort of autobiographical, like Cooper is like Denim, who's the one looking for Kong. You know, mm. the the, the mm-hmm. film guy who's trying to find this creature. Ernest is like Driscoll, who's the explorer with the ship who takes him there. And oh, she is like Anne, who's sort of the aspiring actress who falls in love with the explorer. That's that's really fascinating. I'm getting echoes of, uh, of Deborah Hill. She was a woman producer in, in Hollywood. She uh, she wrote Halloween with John Carpenter, and she's mm. responsible for like all of the babysitter girl stuff, like the day-to-day <laughs> right. stuff. And that's why that movie feels so alive in the beginning, because they feel like real girls, because it came from, you know, it came from somebody yeah. who knew what they were doing. Not John Carpenter. He likes Westerns and horror and that kind of But, you know, it, it's interesting when you know knowing people's strong suits and knowing what people are good at why to bring them in on something what you know what do they have to really add yeah. uh, knowing when to step back and when to let somebody fill in uh, a spot because they have something to bring to the table i mean that's that's the key because marion cooper likes gorillas and <laughs> you know <laughs> it obviously wouldn't work yeah <laughs> She added all the people. So this is like if we're talking yeah. about God. Where are the people in these stories? Well, this is her. She's actually bringing some, yeah, yeah, some humanity and some of the no I'm injecting it with some life. I absolutely love that. Yeah. So the film comes out. It's a huge success. But before that, and here's another literary piece to the thing. In December of 1932, this is two months before the film comes out. They're finishing production. Marion Cooper asks his friend. Dellis Lovelace to adapt it into a novel. So he gives him the screenplay, hey, hey, turn this into a book. So this is released before. And so this is where the copyright comes from. And the copyright expired on the book, and then the rights fall into the public domain. So this becomes a bunch of problems with lawsuits and who owns it and all this other nonsense. A mess. Down the road. And the Kong property is just a nightmare when it comes to who owns the character rights versus the story of the original versus all this mess. That starts to make sense why there, there are so few in comparison to Godzilla. Yes, exactly, because nobody knows. It's harder to get together, just flat out. It's harder (laughs) to get together. The the rights aren't as consolidated in one spot. Um, And a lot of that is due to the fact that there was a book that came out before the movie. They, yeah, you tie it up right up on the, on the gate. <laughs> it's like, wait, what came first? But the movie, wait, the book came out, but it's based on the... <laughs> yeah, we'll never know. Um, Neither will they. Yeah. David Selznick comes back in. After this went crazy and everybody loved it, he petitioned for the guy Willis O'Brien, who was doing the special effects, to get an mm-hmm. Oscar for that. No Oscar yes. existed for for this type of material, but obviously... Make him his own category. <laughs> he's the founder of it. But his whole thing was, he was like, I want equity for this. He insisted that each of his crew also get the award, not just him. Yes. But then the Academy refused this. No. And said, said, no, just you. So then he refused and said, I won't take it. What a bamf. That is a move. I love it. This made him an outsider after that. And he's doing some things, but he hardly involved himself in the sequel or other other things related to Kong. The only thing he did really sink his teeth into that relates to this. There was another large gorilla film that he was involved in called Mighty Joe Young. Oh, interesting. Okay. I only know it from the updated one. Of course, of course. A classic of 90s childhood. 90s culture. <laughs> yeah, but it's based Forgive on- us. We are We are children of our parents, and we yeah. this, the, this show is about expanding ourselves, so come along, please. Yeah. So if you know Mighty Joe Young, it was originally this guy's thing, along with Cooper, and that came out in 1949. He did win the technical award for that because it exists now. Okay. Okay. After the fact of all of this, Marion Cooper continues producing films. Does Mighty Joe Young, Mm -hmm. like I said, 
World War II comes around, he re-enlists and becomes oh. head honcho for a lot of logistics in the Pacific Theater. Oh my God. Becomes a brigadier general and was actually on the USS Missouri, witnessed the official surrender of Japan. Wow. When that happened at the end of the war. Well, um, okay. So when these things do end up with like battleships in the middle of the Pacific <laughs> Ocean, there's some grounding for that. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. At least in this uh, guy's crazy, crazy life. You um, know, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it's uh, somebody, right, you know, coming up with some of this is actually doing something touching that scale you know yeah. what i mean it's the, these are so in the stratosphere on their scale that to that it, to come from somebody who has any idea of like anything even close to that i think is is really important actually yeah unfortunately as far as his legacy just as a weird side note he does have a star on the hollywood walk of fame which i don't know how really? much that means anymore but at the time it was a big deal but his yeah. first name is misspelled oh no and there are other people like Jul Julia Louise <laughs> Dreyfus. Her name was misspelled, but of course they fixed it. But his has never been fixed, <laughs> which makes no sense to me. Do they know? Has anyone told? Them? <laughs> I guess. But it was. What's even weirder is he was a lot. He like he was in his sixties when he was inducted. It wasn't like yeah. this happened twenty years. So he ago, has pictures know. smiling with it <laughs> <Next> and everything. <laughs> I guess he just didn't care. Um, he's got bigger problems. He's got Kong to deal with. Hey, where's your name? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The implications for this story, a lot of the thematics and what people look at would be remiss to mention for the time and place, the context, as you say, whether mm -hmm. it is based in some sort of a racist allegory, talking about colonialism, taking right. from some, you know, wrongly assumed savage land, which is insane, you know, stuff like that, that or anti-interracial relationships, just all of that baggage it's deep human psychology it's man versus beast inside the mind it, it, it's it, what have we done to ourselves over generations and the expansion of the human mind that's what we're watching yeah um and so it's how do you want to what do you what what part of that do you want to talk about with this one what, what well because it's interesting you want to take with this one yeah the the other it could also be the exact opposite as sort of an anti-colonialist this free king taken and shackled and no wonder he's upset and he's more sympathetic than his dumb Yankee captors who Absolutely. don't understand, you know, like Absolutely. it can also be seen as that Cooper had said that the deeper meaning of the film, his inspiration, one of them was saw, he saw a plane flying so close to a tall office building in Manhattan. And he mm -hmm. was like, if I put the gorilla at the top of that building and is shot down by modern weapons, isn't that the story of the primitive doomed by modern civilization? Mm-hmm. So it, it is in the same scope of yeah. humans being dumb and it not ending well for them. Before we get into Godzilla, one of the lawsuit things that I thought about and then makes sense is Donkey Kong, because that's oh, the only yeah. other thing that Kong comes out of. Yeah. But like we said- yeah. the, Interesting. I had not <laughs> thought about that. It was one time. of- yeah. yeah. One of Nintendo's first big properties, and then immediately went under litigation. They won really? and did not settle, which sort of pushed their status as a company because oh, wow. the original story is public domain. Questions of whether the character that they made is in relation to it. You know, he's climbing a tower to go after this girl. Like, is that close enough? Interesting. But it's been in question ever since the creation. And Cooper claims that he sold the rights, not the whole property, and he still owned it. And now Universal retains the majority of the character rights, but they allowed Legendary to make the film with Warner Brothers, which is what we have now. So it's just a nightmare. 
Well, it's interesting even now to, to break that down even further and the differences between the two franchises and why there's a, less of one is this is mm-hmm. another example of it's, it's easier to replicate. And it's easy, you know, like they, they have litigation out against different versions, ripoffs of this character. I know far less of that problem going on with Godzilla and right. direct ripoffs of Godzilla yeah. that the public aren't really seeing or realize, you know, like and now yeah. that I'm thinking about it, like there are, there seems like there's a giant monkey movie every five <laughs> or 10 years. Right. Well, there's that one rampage, which was based exactly. on the video game, which is based on this and it's an albino gorilla. Yeah, exactly. To further the point, it's, it is, you can see how much harder it is to get Kong together for a film thing because all the pieces are so all over. It's a scramble so much so they can't even keep it controlled enough that they can't have a cap on the character. Um, Because I'm trying to think of the next like Walmart version Godzilla and I'm like, what, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park? Eh, No, you know, like, I don't know. (laughs) The only one that they got that was in hot water was in 2002, Toho Studios sued Rugrats for the Reptar character. Reptar, no! (laughs) (laughs) They were like, this is 100%. (laughs) (laughs) To further my point, there you go. That's that's how far you have to go, is you have to go to a prop in an animated children's 90s cartoon show to (laughs) to find your first litigated (laughs) version of a ripoff of Godzilla. That's beautiful. Yeah, and... uh, the Godzilla people won, and so no. <laughs> that's why, if you look after that point, he makes way less appearances in in Rugrats. After that, is because like you can't do that. Why did they win? <laughs> but but Gong can't win. Kong, well, because you know, like I, I said, the book. To, you know? Yeah, the book is in public domain, and who uh, who created oh, it, and is it the studio? God. All that stuff. Yeah. Poor rep, rip Reptar. You know, I love Reptar. <laughs> yeah. What a shame, My boy. <laughs> but so all of this talking about the Kong stuff, is 21 years before Godzilla has ever even happened. I think of them as kind of right. the same, like, oh, black and white monster movies. No, no, no. Kong is way before. And this is also might be very much so as part of the reason why is because we're, we're talking about the beginning of an art form here. Right. <laughs> you know, right society right, right. And as a whole business has has, has evolved. So handshake. It was handshake then. deals. And I said you could do this uh-huh. and who and papers are lost. Like literally papers are just missing. So that so 20, you have 20 years of just bad business because people don't know better because the practices haven't been discovered yet. That by right. the time Godzilla comes along, people know what to do with their property before they give it away. Yeah, exactly. So here comes Godzilla, which I didn't realize is the longest running film franchise in history. Really? Yeah. 1954 was when the first one came out. And we will talk about the Japanese version and then the American version because they're very different, but we'll start yes. with actually what it is, which probably take us back. Not many people have seen what it actually is. So it was called Gojira, a creature feature, mm-hmm. actually a very bold political statement, which gets lost in the in the really? mix of things. Yeah. We'll talk about the man who helms it all, Ishiru Honda. He loved films from an early age, was actually a part of the first film program at Nihon University, Mm. but then got drafted in the war in 1934. He had many military assignments and tours, was six years at the front. An unfortunate situation was one of his commanding officers tried to launch a coup against the government, and he was not involved at all, but it just completely tarnished anybody that was affiliated with that because he would have been done with his service in 18 months, but then had to continue for the remainder of the war. 
Wow. And close to the end became also a prisoner of war in China before oh my the war ended. Yeah. So after he works on many documentaries for the Toho Educational Films Division. And talking about first, this is he creates the first Japanese film to utilize underwater photography. Oh wow. That's so this amazing. is part of their, their national park tourism thing, kind of in line with like, oh, they're pushing the bounds of effects. Yeah. You know, this is where he meets Eiji Suburaya, who is a special effects director. Okay. And this is like their collab where you're talking about yes. Willis O'Brien and and Cooper with Kong. This is Suburaya and Honda. And the they Simba. they meet <laughs> they meet uh, doing the documentary stuff. Yeah. And Subaraya was forever inspired as a kid by King Kong. He had said in a documentary that so he's yeah. seeing the original and saying, yeah. "I want to do something like that." Okay. okay. So the three things into the fifties that build to Godzilla's release, nineteen fifty two, they re-release King Kong. I guess just out of happenstance, but it made more. It was more common back then. There were fewer films. Number one, people still wanted to go to the theater, so they would rerun things uh, and make it. And that's how you. That's how classics became more stapled as classics because they were reran more often and people saw them more often. And so that stayed an idea of the classic throughout decades. (laughs) So it actually made more box office than the original in the U.S. as as the re-release. So that. So then that's being seen. In Japan and saying, oh, God, like we love this. We're inspired by it. Here it comes again. The second well, I love yeah. that Kong is really the inspiration for Godzilla because I did not I didn't know which one came first. That's kind yeah. of what my big question when we decided to do this I was like, OK, yeah, I don't know where either one of these characters really their roots are from. So but I love that they actually are entwined. Um, yeah. And then and, and without Kong, you don't get Godzilla. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I th- feel like Godzilla, like we said, in terms of films, it's overtaken. Oh yeah, as the cultural and and I think we've uh, backwards uncovered exactly why. If you've been listening along (laughs) through that, but I think we've really zeroed in on, and it's it's multifaceted. Yeah, but it it really has to do with how early this is in the in the art in the art form. And here comes also with Godzilla. The second thing related to its monumental release is more of a cultural awareness. A I feel like almost a larger point to the whole yes, thing. Right. right. It's, there kind is, of a, it's kind of a redo on it's like, okay, we can do with those elements, we can push it a little bit further mm-hmm. with a point with an actual edge on it, with yeah. something to say. And the thing to say, they're directly referencing the fear and the anxiety and the trauma of nuclear destruction. Right. Not even related to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but the year before. There was a crew of a boat called the Lucky Dragon 5. They were fishing off the Marshall Islands, and this is where they do the bikini atoll testing for the oh, you know yeah. 15 megaton hydrogen bomb. This is even after. This is in the early 50s. And the opening sequence of the original Godzilla is a direct reference to this. But there were 23 men contaminated by nuclear fallout, ash raining down from the coral that exploded, Showing that there's nuclear problems are not over eight years later. The country so is still you have Kong on the mind, and this happens to you. You experience yeah. this happening. It's news to, all to over you. the country. Yeah. So it starts. It's it, you start to see how, of course, Godzilla would emerge in the midst of this, given what's going on. That's, yeah. That's that's fascinating. I love that uh, that the the ideas of where those how that it percolated through yeah, uh, especially that story. Good lord, about the uh, the the radiation is horrific. Yeah. Um, and this is even more insane. This is the literary reference. This comes about in 1953. So this is between 1952 and 1953. These three things are happening. There wow. is a U.S. film called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. 
this is uh, so close. So the literary side of things, it was based on a short story by Ray Bradbury called The Foghorn. And it's, mm. it is about a sea monster, very simple, that attacks this lighthouse because there's the horn and it sounds like the wailings and it's looking for others of its kind and it destroys mm-hmm. the lighthouse and it goes off. And, you know, it's sort of this contemplative, meditative thing about this creature. Mm-hmm. The U.S. movie, so different. I think they just took it because they were like, oh, God, we stole this and didn't know and need a reference <laughs> material. So the U.S. story is about this marine-based prehistoric dinosaur that is released from its frozen state in the Arctic Circle by atomic bomb testing, and it moves uh-huh. towards and attacks New York City. There we go. So this is like the American Godzilla without a point pre-Godzilla. The proto-Godzilla. <laughs> right. So, because they, they're not saying anything about atomic bombs, or it's just a plot device. Right. It's just the uh, creature feature, but all of this you happens. You marry that with the, the atomic nightmares of what just happened in Japan. Yeah. And you take the influence of the success of, and, and the majesty of seeing something like Kong on the big screen, you, you start to see the silhouette of Godzilla emerge yeah. pretty quickly. Exactly. So the production of the film starts with this producer, Tomoyuki Tanaka. He outlined kind of what he wanted to do with this because he had had a failed production that he was trying to do with Indonesia, and then a lot of money was dumped in, and it's like, how can he recoup this? So the outline he was he titled was called The Giant Monster from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, mm. which is not at all similar to the title The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, mm. which <laughs> just came out. <laughs> He hired, no, no, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. No, it's totally different. Yeah. He hires this sci-fi writer to write the story. It's only 50 pages long. Godzilla is more animal-like. He feeds at night. There's also a, a conspicuous gorilla-like interest in females. And it also attacks a lighthouse, huh. which is not also not uh, <laughs> like anything we've heard. I love that hallmark. Yeah. It attacks a lighthouse. So, yeah, that's just because that was in the short story. So- at this time, sci-fi films are lacking major respect, but they tr- agree to the guys working on this Honda who comes in as the director and the special effects guy. They agree on depicting it as if it were a real-life event with serious documentary-like tones. And oh, wow. yeah. they rewrote the story, which got changed a bunch, obviously, as a screenplay in three weeks. There's a love triangle between the human characters. There are other characters. Mm. And then the special effects guy, Suburaya comes up with this thing, which is not the stop motion animation, it's the suitimation. So they put somebody in a suit, slow down the film, make it look bigger, do a bunch uh, of the miniatures, yes. all that stuff. Um, I always wanted to be that guy. That's what I wanted to do as a kid, <laughs> was be in the suit, kick over the buildings. Yeah. I wanted to help make the buildings, I wanted to make the suit. <laughs> Step on them. That's my dream job, as I wanted to be a creature in a suit. I wanted to be in a suit. <laughs> well, it, you might not want to in the early days of this because the oh, guy who no, did no, it no, could no, only no. be inside. He could only be inside for three minutes before passing out. It was so, <laughs> it was so hot. It was so they had to like change the lining inside every day. Oh, it was a God. nightmare. The original actor lost twenty pounds in during the production. Well, it's like the actor that played the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. almost died because he was allergic to the <laughs> to the paint that they used for the chrome. Yeah, um, sealed him up. You learn these things when you're at the forefront of a medium, I suppose. Yeah. As far as the Japanese, the whole production process, the title I mentioned was Gojira, not Godzilla. 
Mm-hmm. That is the original name. It's it's originally, like I said, it was supposed to be gorilla-like or whale-like in design. Gojira is a combination of the Japanese word for gorilla and whale. Interesting. And even in relation to the nuclear sort of allegory, the head was shaped more like a mushroom cloud, which carries mm. over a little bit in the original if you look at his design, but right. it, it got shrunk down a little bit. But that made me think kind of about talking about the Japanese name, the term kaiju, which you had told me about, and I know exists, but I was not as familiar with it. It's just like the... Well, especially now with these later films being produced by Legendary, they also produced the Pacific Rim movies, and now it's a comic book series and has a sequel, right. and I think another sequel. Um, and so it's on the same scale. When we talk about these movies being on different scales and this is being in the stratosphere, Pacific Rim and their kaiju monsters coming from the same studio... Uh, it's starting to feel like this is all some kind of big monster universe uh, that they've got going on over at Legendary. So I didn't know if there was a precedent of these characters. I didn't know if the if Kong or Godzilla were involved with these characters in there. I had no idea. So I, I right. you know I don't I don't know where the kaiju exactly emerges from. Yeah. So I looked into this at your request and. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I was interested too. The <laughs> The word kaiju means strange beast in Japanese, and Godzilla mm. is the first kaiju film. There is nothing before him. And even you know Kong, these other ones, these American presentations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are just scary you know, creatures from another world. It's not, it's not this particular type of thing. The okay. term or the idea of it comes from monsters and sea creatures from ancient legends. Everybody has them, but specifically appearing in this Chinese classic of mountains and seas which is a text from the fourth century to do with chinese mythology but it's not Mm, japanese in nature not these big epic things it's just like oh this is kind of they're always you know sea monsters or creatures or that sort of thing gotcha um but it gets more expressed as the concepts from paleontology of like creatures still alive but even still in other parts of the world like the tyrannosaurus rex being in the jungle or whatever you know right right, kind of what the what kong is playing with but this is the origin of this kind of thing. There are no traditional depictions of these kaiju creatures in Japanese folklore. The origins of it are found in film. Wow. So this wow. is... It really is Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have Kong to thank for that. That's yeah. kind of amazing. Yeah, because I was wondering if it was like, is this a cultural thing? And does it have does it have reverberations going back? You know, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. There was another origin word as well that struck my interest called kaijin. And we spoke about it bizarrely and briefly in our one of our Sherlock Holmes discussions because oh, yes. we had said there was a Japanese author, Itogawa Rampo, yes, which was kind of like Edgar Allan Poe, and he had a lot more surreal kind of mystery stories, and he right, had a right. Sherlock Holmes corollary. But his Moriarty type villain in his book The Fiend with Twenty Faces is this master of disguise, and so this term kaijin is not a big monster, but it's like a humanoid monster that either has Mm. supernatural or just bizarre powers. That got turned into more like cybernetically enhanced beings and eventually morphs into the concept and the the series that becomes Power Rangers. Oh, man. 
And oh, so they're a kaijin. Cool. And it also even merges with the kaiju in the sense that there's always this thing that they exactly. fight and it becomes a larger version of itself as a monster. And then they merge and combine into a larger version that then fights. It comes all the way back around. Now that may be what this movie needs. Godzilla <laughs> versus Kong. And instead of like, you know, people getting through it like we do, what if it was the Power Rangers yeah. trying, to, <laughs> trying exactly. to stop them? Yeah. That might be the only way to balance it out. <laughs> Get some Humanizing level. Mix. Yeah. Uh, oh, I adore that trip around the world. <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> that it. was amazing because it, it connects right back into itself. It feels so yeah. natural. Um, but back into the production of this thing, because we're not we're not out of the woods yet. Historically, the U.S. had sculpted this kind of new democracy in Japan as their picking up the rubble from World War II, mm-hmm. and there's censorship criminalizing propaganda films, banning military imagery, mm. all of that stuff. And even right. two years after the occupation, there's still lots of pressure on media regulation. Godzilla is based on all of that, the fears, the horrors of nuclear proliferation, of course, the military, everything that's been in their immediate history. Of and course. even down to the symbology, I'd mentioned the mushroom cloud-shaped head representing mm-hmm. the blast, but he doesn't have scales like a reptile and the grooved hide is supposed to evoke the keloid scarring of the survivors from nuclear blasts. Oh, yes. It's all in there. The producer said, mankind had created the bomb and now nature was going to take revenge on mankind. And they oh. had filmed the rampage to mirror the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Wow. Because in the original film, the Japanese version, the city is in flames, there's overstuffed hospitals, there's irradiated children, memories that yeah. are less than a decade old. All that stuff is very present in the original Gojira. But the American version bum, 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 <laughs> is <laughs> what the rest of the world saw and what if you and I would see if ever. Right. The Trans World Corporation, sounds shady, acquired the rights in 1956. And so many scenes cut out, plot heavily restructured. They include an American lead, what? Raymond Burr, and it was retitled Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is where that title comes from. From the 2019 film. Interesting. But that's actually from the American revision because he wasn't King of the Monsters. Yeah. Like that's not the concept. He's not that, That's not what the original film was trying to say <laughs> about <Right>. Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, but these scenes were reshot to include this American actor, Raymond Burr. In the the American version, an American reporter talking about what's going on with this, they brought in like Japanese stand-ins to look like he was in the original. Um, mm. There's a beautiful shot in the original of this mother clutching her kids, and yeah. as the as the city is burning up in flames, and in the original Japanese, there's no music; it's just the fire crackling around her, and she says, "It's okay, we'll be with daddy soon." as it cuts back to the city burning, just like very relevant, very aware. In the American version, it's not dubbed. You just hear her speaking and it's music over the top that's kind of cheesy. Like that whole sequence means nothing. Wow, that just passes over you. Yeah. They remove the atomic bomb allegory, the references to radiation. Like it's just this sea monster. We can't be guilty. We can't be responsible for it. (laughs) That's not, no. (laughs) Because the original is so distinctly Japanese, but when you remove that allegory, it is a giant lizard attacking the city. Right. It's not a response to tragedy and censorship. You neutered Um, it. Yeah. We already made that movie. (laughs) So this original Japanese one was not even available to American audiences until 2004. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. So that's 50 years later oh is gosh. when the actual one could be seen not in Japan or with English subtitles and not dubbed and chopped to bits and added yeah. Raymond Burr. And it's weird because he's, you know, talking to people and then they do like a shoulder of somebody else, but they're not at, he's not actually in that scene. They just really imagine that being pieces. like, imagine growing up in that, that is your favorite movie as a, and as an American child. Well, I'm sure for a lot of people it the, is exactly from the, from like the sixties you grow up, that is your favorite film. And then in 2004, you get to find like, oh, suddenly the real version is actually released. Yeah. Yeah. God, 50 years. You yeah. can go a whole lifetime. One well, because of that too, he's as much a product of America as he is Japan, and with the American interpretation, along with some mm. cultural things, like he was the enemy, now he turned to an ally and then a hero. Right, you know, he becomes a sort of odd global property, and then even in Japan in the sixties and seventies, children's television is pushing him into a different market. He's sort of right. the hero and defender. Like it, it, it's synthesized in this and weird cross-cultural thing. New legendary films is like, like, is he on our side? Are we against him? Right. And how? You know, that, that is central to all of these. All of these films is are these things playing with us or against us? Right. And when is it time to team up? <laughs> but in the original, it is a tragedy and a horror show, and it is. Yeah the hubris and foolishness of humans brought down yeah. upon other humans. I thought it was interesting that it, it, the guy who came up with all this, Honda, he said, asked if he was offended by all of this. He said he found the alterations amusing. <laughs> Quote, his film was trying to imitate American monster movies. Oh, wow. So it's like, now we don't know which is which. Like you said, I don't know which came first because they're so enmeshed because they liked Kong. Yeah, they're like trying to do our version and then we redo their version with our version. <laughs> right. And but they're like, no, we, we were just doing your version. But in our way. Yeah, with, that, with, the, <laughs> with this meaning and then that meaning gets lost. Well. And, yeah. So here comes now, God, finally, Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> 1962. This is seven years since a Godzilla film has come out and 29 years since King Kong has come out. Oh, wow, yeah. Both had their hastily made sequels a year after and then dropped. Mm -hmm. And classic illiterate, another weird literary origin. Mm -hmm. Rising from wow. the ashes in the 60s, the original King Kong stop motion animator Willis O'Brien had this idea for a story. It is about King Kong fighting a giant Frankenstein monster in San Francisco. Yeah. Love Frankenstein, huh? I don't know what that's all about. Yeah. <laughs> but he was into it. He had concept art. You can see it. I'll post a link. He had the treatment. Really? He was going back to RKO. He was serious about it. Yeah. There's a different producer, John Beck, who's fleshing it out into a screenplay, shopping the script. They're mm -hmm. mixing it up. He goes to Toho in Japan, who they were ecstatic. They were like, we want to do a Kong film. We would love to do yeah. Kong versus Frankenstein, but there's all this complication with Frankenstein because Universal, again, talking about early stages of the career, it's like, do they own it? Because they had done the monster movie. It's later understood right. that they just own that interpretation or that makeup. They don't own because it's in the public domain. It's Mary Shelley's book. Right, right, right. It's still confusing. So they replace Frankenstein with Godzilla rewriting the script. <laughs> So now, instead of it being King Kong versus Frankenstein, it's King Kong versus Godzilla. And then suddenly it starts to glow. <laughs> All of this is done behind O'Brien's back. 
<gasps> no, he's he's never credited for the project, the idea, any of it. He oh has, God, he has nothing to do with this thing because it was the no, producer. the matchup in the city. Come with the come on. <laughs> but imagine if he had been on it and had done brought his stop motion with their pseudomation, no. you know. But he just has nothing to do with it. And same oh. thing with Marion Cooper, the creator of King Kong. He's bitterly opposed no. to it all. He hates the man in a gorilla suit thing. He files oh. lawsuits, but he doesn't own Kong because it's the studio's thing. So neither of them are involved in this. Again, the Japanese interpretation having thematics, they want it to be a satire of the TV industry in Japan. Oh, cool. Which I was not aware of at all because apparently there were these outrageous publicity stunts and sponsorships and it was this mm -hmm. weird cardboard cutout of reality. Honda is oh, the man. director again. The producer and the special effects guy are back. That sounds great. In the original <laughs> Japanese plotline, it's this pharmaceutical CEO that doesn't like the ratings of the show that his company is sponsoring on. So he finds yeah. King Kong to create this stunt that then goes off the rails. Yes. And Godzilla is woken again by an American submarine off the coast. <laughs> and that's the news show that he's sponsoring that isn't getting yes. good ratings. So it becomes this weird cultural miasma of somewhat of a statement. <laughs> Saying how yeah. absurd this is, how absurd our TV <laughs> programming is, bringing yeah. back in the cultural icons that we all know and love. Oh my gosh. So that's super, I love it. That's super awesome. And then the screenwriter yeah. was working on pop songs and TV shows. Keep so aware. Yeah. <laughs> they had insight into it. But at the same time, it's got a much lighter tone. There's humor in the action sequences. Sure, yeah. Honda's not as much a fan of the script because he still has a reverence for the characters. But also, it's the same problem with him as it is with Cooper. The studio owns the Godzilla property, so he kind of has to go along uh, with how I they're see. taking this. Also- yeah. The increasing popularity of wrestling is going on at the time in Japan. So it is more just like a 20 minute wrestling Weird. match between them at the end yeah, of the that film. That makes sense. That's <laughs> and then even at this time, since King Kong is such a bigger draw and Godzilla is, is still perceived as a villain, right? This is the only mm -hmm, the third mm -hmm. film that either of them are in. Kong is the winner. He's also the top billing for the uh, title, which is interesting yeah. that now the the, the remake, if you will, is flipped. Yeah. What is different is in the American version, yet again, whole new screenplay. They remove, cut new music, new footage. Not again. <laughs> There's none of the satire of the TV industry of Japan. They cut out all of that. It's almost like they knew what to cut out. <laughs> yeah. Come nothing on, Nothing with the pharmaceutical guy, which is literally the point. And they just give new footage with American actors acting as if it's a newscast from different vantage points. Oh, my God. And I saw it came out in 2011. There's the original version with subtitles. Maybe there was one before that. But I think mm -hmm. yet again, it was another thing where it's like, oh, that's the one that most people around the world saw, but wasn't the, the Japanese one. It's like we got a mystery science theater version. Uh, every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will end with some some consolations to this story because I don't want it to be a depressing, like, look at how much no, got, no, got no. butchered. But it is all part of, that's what's so weird about all this lore, is that it is all part of it. It's all. It, I love that it all folds back on itself. Yeah. And, and in particular, that the that you know the Japanese wanted to, to pay homage to the American <laughs> monster movies, and then in turn, the American Hollywood system just gutted their movies to make it like the, the American thing. Hollywood system, <laughs> but it's like, no, they were trying, they were doing what you were trying to so do. So bizarre. Yeah. So here's the last two kind of folding in on itself. Honda knew the Frankenstein angle after this thing was made, after it was Godzilla versus Kong and that it wasn't owned. 
And so he said, okay, well, now I'll do Frankenstein versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And not Frankenstein <laughs> versus Kong. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do it with Godzilla instead of Kong. But that didn't, <laughs> that didn't come through. He instead matches Godzilla with Mothra, which starts the putting Godzilla against and other kaiju go. in the franchise. And then here we have... It puts him on a whole different trajectory. Yeah, the legend, Thank God for it. The legendary monster verse. We're having him battling all these different monsters. Monster verse. Starting with Kong and then going out. But Frankenstein, God help him, is not lost in the dust. No, please. So, <laughs> yay. In 1965, another film made by Honda called Frankenstein Conquers the World. He gets yes! his, <laughs> He gets his own kaiju film. Where he yes. he is the main. It was a Japanese American co-production by the guy who had produced Mr. Magoo, which I don't know what that gets you. I love that the the dedication to giant Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, it's real. I'll, I'll post a link we to the trailer. Get this made. The, uh, the is it time? Not this one. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the last little folding in is on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We said Marion Cooper is on there. You know who else is on there? Godzilla. Yes, he has his own. He is one of only 18 fictional characters of the 2,700 stars that are there. That's right. I think that... Yeah. Does Wait, does Kong? No. <gasps> so isn't that that's interesting? So, that's sad. We need to contact them right now. We need Number one, we need to fix that guy's name. Number two, <laughs> we need to apply for Kong's star yeah. and say, well, obviously this has to happen. But just such an interesting thing that like he started in Japan, but he's on the Walk of Fame. Yeah. And spelled right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the King Kong is the American one that inspired all this junk. And it's not even on their own Walk of Fame. <laughs> yeah. So it's such an interesting merging. (laughs) I didn't know anything about how it all interweaves and connects, but it makes sense then that here we are. Yeah. You know, it totally makes sense. You know, I feel like audiences might be a little like, like what, how, why, you know, we've been in this remake phase for what seems like two decades now. And so it it feels naturally kind of another follow up to that. But it almost seems now going through it is like these, they will always be fighting. They will always be (laughs) together. They were always meant to be together. They come from one another. They're married. It's amazing. The merging, the dismissal, the acceptance, culture, politics, filmmaking, technique, like it's all... It's, it's, it's all rich, man. That's, uh, that's even even more vast than I really imagined. Yeah. Um, hey, and hey, the new movie, what can I say? <laughs> I, you know, I've seen the newer ones and the, it's always been a, a, a it's always been the battle of balancing how much do the people impact the monster yeah. storyline and, and and can they really in in a, in a monumental way I, I i have to say we're probably a godzilla fan in this house right <laughs> um, my uh, my wife has some affinity for godzilla uh having worked on king of monsters so i've been watching them and what can i say about the new one i will say it's probably the most visually stunning of them yeah I mean, it's definitely a ride. And, and is this going to be enough to get you back into the theater? I don't I don't know. That's a personal choice. I watched it at home. But the uh, in particular, the Tokyo sequence of this new film is is particularly visually striking. I, I wonder what they have in store for the old monster verse over at Legendary Power Rangers. That's what they're going to do. I hope to God. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> if you it, just replace the replace all the human characters with an elite team 
Throw it. Yeah, it's basically throwing in Pacific Rim. I just love the color now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Taylor. Yeah, thank you. Let us know if you if you are into Godzilla. Yeah, well, did we get something wrong or did we not? Is there part of this that we didn't cover? Let us know. Reach out to us. We, we, we want to hear that kind of stuff. We couldn't thank you guys enough. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching or you're excited for. You never know when we're going to do an episode on your favorite thing. So get in contact with us and we will catch you next week. Thank you.